Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm as well. Coming up on this Monday edition, some headlines to look at, including the fact that uh, there could be some flooding in the U.S. We've had some drought, but now some heavy rains could cause flooding. Uh, a very interesting technology note, the way people are uh, keeping tabs on other people. Uh, it's an interesting story to look at. And also another uh, look at some of the gun debate that's going on in the youth culture. That and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon with you here today on this Monday. It feels like a Monday. It's like everything's just kind of slow getting going for some reason. I don't know. Well, we both went to the mall yesterday. We just found out. Yeah. Dif- different malls, but still. Yeah, that was quite, we were talking about it a little bit before we came on the air and, uh, yeah, it, it's quite an adventure when you go out to some of those places and just uh, uh, the different individuals that you see. You think, what is this? Is things are different than they used to be? Uh, this, there's some interesting characters. Yeah, I guess that could be a little tiring. Try to trying to figure it all out sometimes. Well, my wife and I were talking about it on the way home, and we were just saying, you know, if we're if we're still <laughs> going to a mall, let's say, in 30 years, I mean, what is it going to be like? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how much it's changed even since I was a kid to now, and uh, just just some of the people you see. I mean, really, is quite quite startling in a lot of ways. Oh, that's so true. Well, yeah, we'll be zipping around in like space pods. We won't we won't care to walk anymore at that point. So we'll just be transported everywhere, Who hovering knows? above the ground. Who knows what'll be happening at that point? But anyway, so that was uh, interesting. Just over the weekend, uh, lots of stories to take a look at today, including uh, one about the weather here in the U.S. Uh, Flood fears rise as wicked storm system tears across southern central U.S. We caught some of that here in Oklahoma. We had a pretty good amount of rain. I didn't see the totals, but we had a good amount of rain uh, over the weekend, which we needed uh, Saturday morning, especially nice little uh, rain. But in some places it was more severe. A violent storm system with relentless rains and fierce winds that pounded the southern and central U.S. over the weekend could lead to treacherous flooding in the days ahead. The system that stretched from Texas to the Canadian Maritime Provinces left a path of destruction as it cut eastward Sunday. Homes were leveled, trees uprooted, cars demolished. Five people were killed, uh, two in suspected tornadoes. So uh, this time of year, I guess, it seems a little early, but I guess tornadoes can pop up about any time. Emergency crews struggled to keep up with calls from drivers stranded by rising floodwaters in many locations. Uh, Flooding will continue, they say, to be a threat this week as more rain falls and runoffs continue. That's according to AccuWeather. More than 200 river gauges reported levels above flood stage from the Great Lakes to eastern Texas, so that whole swath of the U.S. there. Uh, By Sunday, the river gauge near downtown Louisville showed the Ohio River at 34.9 feet. The normal level is about 12 feet. Wow. In 1997, the water was measured at 38.8 feet. Roughly 50,000 homes were flooded, and the Louisville area alone saw $200 million in damage. I remember that pretty well uh, from 97. So they're not that far away. It was 38.8 feet in 97 when all that damage occurred. It's at 34.9 feet right now. Wow, that's that's a lot of trouble. Uh, probably something similar is going to happen again. Hopefully, hopefully not to that level. But I think we should probably go out and check our lake just out the window there, just to see what it is. Because you're right, it did rain just constantly. We obviously must have gotten caught up in that same storm. Yeah, when they showed it on the weather map, it was amazing. It did go like they said all the way from basically. Mexico up through Texas and then all the way up to the Great Lakes. So it's that's a huge storm system. It really covered the entire U.S. And uh, it's interesting if you think about it. I mean, you could have been driving that route and been in, the, in a severe storm the entire way. <laughs> that would have been something. Typically, it wouldn't be that long. But so we, it seems like we, we have sort of these uh, we have droughts, we have fires, we have flooding. So 
uh, all kinds of things going on with the weather, and we've got uh, uh, some more information about just some of those catastrophes coming up a little later. It, they're, they're wearing people out, as uh, we have a write-up about. Uh, this is a note from the Olympics from over the week. The Olympics are over finally. They're finally done with, I think. Last night they had their final farewell, I think. Uh, and, and it says, the Russians sing band anthem after beating Germany to the gold. So uh, you remember the Russians were competing as neutral athletes. <laughs> neutral athletes at uh, Pyeongchang as punishment for a years-long Russian doping scandal. So instead of banning them completely, they allowed them to participate as neutral athletes. Well, when they won the gold medal, what do you think they did? They sang the Russian national anthem, which is illegal for them to sing. And they're already being discussed for reinstatement as in the Olympics for some reason. So, so next time the Olympics come around, they'll probably be allowed to be officially called the Russian team again. Uh, they're completely defying the rules right now, and yet we're going to let them have full privileges really soon. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Have they made changes? I would allow them back in, not to my knowledge. Uh, and and just the fact that. They went and sang the national anthem from Russia just shows you what a farce it all is. <laughs> you can call them whatever you want to, but they are from Russia. They know they are. We know they are. And they won the gold medal. So it, as we look back on this in it, later on, are we going to say, you remember that those athletes from that neutral country that won the gold medal? <laughs> or those neutral athletes, I guess? No, we'll all say, you remember when the Russians won the gold medal? Exactly. So it's, I think it just kind of highlights some of the, the silliness that that uh, governing bodies in this world get into. There's no real punishment here for the Russians. They still came and won the gold medal, and they just called them something different, but it was still Russia. Vladimir Putin must have laughed at that sanction whenever they placed it on his nation. Uh, the fact that he could have you know, hundreds and thousands of athletes systematically doping, cheating out those who uh, probably should have won medals in their place, and yet they're still allowed to participate just under a different name while everyone still knows who they're representing. That's, that's not even a punishment at all. I mean, that's not even, that's less than a slap on the wrist because Russia's still in the name. It's still Olympic athletes from Russia. They didn't even eliminate the part that said what country they're from. They should have, they should have done that old uh, professional wrestling trick and said they're from parts unknown. (laughs) Whenever they they want to make someone seem mysterious, they're 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 hailing from parts unknown. So they could have done that for the Russians. Speaking of doping scandals, there's a story from over the weekend. Follow me here if you can on this one. I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm just going to say what this is. This girl that wants to be a boy is a wrestler, and so she wrestles other girls. But she's quote unquote transitioning to being a boy, so she's taking. Uh, basically steroids and um, uh, testosterone. Well, she won the state championship in wrestling. I think it was in Texas, maybe. And uh, so she won, and there were boos. And, you know, so in one in one case, you kind of penalize somebody for doping an athlete. But then on the other hand, it's okay to dope as an athlete as long as you're in some sort of transition process. <laughs> the Russians could just say they're transitioning into better athletes. <laughs> right. But what's the difference? <laughs> well, that would automatically make every female who dopes for Russia uh, totally fine because they could all say at least that they're uh, becoming men. Even if they're not, they could still say that. And apparently in society, we allow that to be a reasonable excuse now. But, but yeah, that's absolutely right. When, when you have someone who is still biologically a girl, but is bulking up in terms of muscle mass, testosterone, and is going head-to-head with other girls in a physical competition, it's pretty obvious who's who's going to win. Any boy would have a natural advantage, and so would a girl who is turning her body into a boy's body. The the girl's mother said that uh, it's all technique. No. That's, no, it's no. not. And, and it might it might have something to do with the testosterone injections and so on and so forth. So Well, you could be the best fourth-grade wrestler in the world, and I'm still going to beat that wrestler easily because I'm going to outweigh that person by, like, 150 pounds. I, it, there's no question uh, who is going to win sometimes. If there's a big enough size uh, disadvantage for somebody, it doesn't matter how good they are at that skill. Yeah, for sure. It's just It just shows how confusing things are. And even and the reason I said I'm not going to be politically correct is because when I read the article, they're always trying to refer to them uh, as they want to be referred to in terms of 
he, she, you know, and I, it's so confusing. So I just said what it is. It's a girl, but they want to be a boy. Well, I was really baffled by that too, because I think what they said was a transgender boy right. won the girls tournament. So I thought this person is biologically a boy, but is at least taking estrogen right. to try to reduce muscle mass but that's not what it was it it's was exact opposite and we need someone to say it the way that you did to actually make sense it's just so confusing just to, I, I can't even imagine that. well first of all i'm surprised that there's even girls wrestling that seems a little odd but in, in any event i guess that's yeah i thing. actually didn't really know about that so but anyway it's just it's just the more the more they try to um i guess let everybody participate as they want it it just becomes more and more confusing so confusion is like the the word of the day. They have to make new rules to try to figure out who can wrestle who or who can participate in what sport and then what's legal and what's not. In some cases, you can't take uh, testosterone and steroids. In other cases, you can. But And you can still participate in the sports. I mean, it just, it's, it's just very tough to try to keep that all uh, in mind, even as far as just the laws of the sports. Well, why didn't that girl who's becoming a boy compete in the boys' tournament? Right. If, if you have a choice between the two and you're being totally ethical about it, wouldn't you at least pick the one of the gender that you desire to become? And, and, and why wouldn't they pick it? Because boys are a lot stronger, they are physically bigger, and they're just going to win. And, and she, she knew that she wouldn't have no chance in that competition, so she just picked out the easier one. Finished the year undefeated, and I think is two-time champion. <laughs> this is just crazy. Uh, this is interesting right up here. This is from USA Today. It says, no, it's not just you. Everybody is exhausted, and no, it's not getting better. And they're talking about just the exhaustion from the way life is going in general. It says, the chaos of life and its collision with technology and tragedy has more of us feeling drained, frazzled, and emotionally overrun. Put simply, we are exhausted. They say, what's to blame? The list is long and growing, experts say. And, and he, so this is USA Today, and here's their list. Wildfires, terror attacks, rising tensions with North Korea, racist rallies, in their, opi- in their opinion. Yeah, there are plenty of those, but I think they don't know which ones they are. Political investigations in Washington, the nonstop barrage of presidential tweets, <laughs> and, and the media, too, of course. More and worse mass shootings from Las Vegas to Florida, a tsunami of sexual harassment accusations, the role of Russians in our elections, climate change, wink, wink, <laughs> red state, blue state division, and not one, not two, but three of the worst hurricanes on record, including one that nearly blew Puerto Rico out of the Caribbean Sea, put together... And it's understandable why exhausted Americans are limping along and running out of gas. That's quite a list. That's from USA Today. That's what people are facing. Well, there's just an increase in the thought that we're not really safe from whatever it might be, whether it's uh, the weather or any, any type of action that a human being who is deranged and insane could take. Uh, Obviously, the political strife is a factor because every single day people are always being divided into groups and arguing with each other and the media is stoking that they're not trying to unite anybody uh everywhere you look either you feel unsafe or you feel uh like a lot of people don't like you because of what you believe yeah there's a lot of anxiety uh therapist sophia richman of montclair said i do see an increase in anxiety in my practice Patients are more anxious. They're having anxiety dreams. There's a sense that there is some threat to them, an amorphous threat, and they wake up in a sweat. There is a sense of danger, and we're living in very dangerous times. So when they start talking about living in dangerous times, there's a quote later where somebody says, look, these aren't normal times, and they put all these, they put this list together, and they could have added more, I think, to what people are worried about what's happened. You know, you, you stop and you think, well, okay, I mean, uh, what does that mean? You know, if people have kept up with the Trumpet magazine or they've kept up with uh, what Herbert Armstrong wrote for years and years, I mean, he's, he said that for years. These are not normal times. And people, you know, a lot of times can kind of brush that aside. But here you have USA Today saying the same thing. And it's pretty clear from a lot of their insinuation here that they're trying to blame the current presidential administration for a lot of these problems. Uh, but... Again, the trumpet.com has a lot to say about that, too, where if you do think that there's a problem with the nation's leadership, 
you have to look at the sins of the people. The people are responsible for the leaders that come into office. The people's sins are also responsible for the weather disasters that we're seeing or for the, the rise of terrorist terrorist attacks and race riots. It is the people's fault. You you can't just blame one person who is far off that you'll never have to confront in person. It's a what the people have done wrong that that explain why we're having all these curses. Yeah, even if you think about the gun debate, which we'll talk about a little more later, the f- argument really is about a inanimate object, <laughs> a gun. Uh, and the, the conversation isn't so much about people that mm-hmm. use them, but that's where the, the problem comes in. Um, this writer from USA Today says, Indeed, 63% of Americans say the future of the nation is very or somewhat significant is a very or somewhat significant source of stress for them. According to the recently released Stress in America report by the American Psychological Association. So 63% think that things are pretty stressful. Uh, I don't know whether we are overwhelmed, cowed into silence, or just not cognizant of the danger, says Joe Truman, professional leader of the uh, Tenek branch of the Ethical Cultural Society a humanist society that goes back to the 19th century. He says, but I have never been more fearful for our country than right now. My sense is that people may be just so overwhelmed by the reality, almost like a deer in a headlight, that they don't know how to respond to what I consider real danger. These are not normal times. So um, that's kind of the state of the country today. And like you said, I think a lot of it is sort of hyped up by the media against the current administration. But there is a there is a real reality, a lot of it being ignored, quite frankly, of very very dangerous things that are happening out there. Yeah, it's it's dangerous everywhere we turn, and even uh, the Olympics, like we said, they just ended yesterday. But you have nations competing in the Olympics that are going to go right back to their meddling with nuclear weapons and supporting, uh, you know, tyrannical regimes in the Middle East and whatever else they're doing. Uh, the Olympics was like a it was trying to show unity and it was trying to show peace among nations with North and South Korea uniting for their hockey team and, and walking together in, in these ceremonies. Yet they're going to go right back to threatening each other with nuclear annihilation. It, that's really what uh, that's that's the reality. The Olympics covers that up sometimes and even some of the, the hostilities shine through. But now we're back to it where there's no longer a three week a three-week, uh, I guess, uh, ceasefire that they always have during the Olympics. Nations are looking to tear each other apart. That's the reality that we have to face. Yeah, even last night I saw a report on uh, Syria and what's going on over there and the, the gas attacks that, that uh, uh, Assad has done on his own people. Yeah, it's just it's unbelievable, mm. you know, with those people, lots of people being killed, lots of children, just terrible, and it's just, it just keeps going on. It's ongoing as we go about our day, but that's uh, those are the things that are occurring over there. And then even with, I think one, one of the things about the Olympics was, like you said, a lot of times it is sort of a diversion, but they just push the societal changes in people's faces so much that even that wasn't a source of, say, escape anymore. No. Now there's other things being pushed <laughs> at, at everyone, and uh, so I, I can see why people's anxiety is quite high because, quite frankly, things are changing so much that, and no matter how old somebody is, especially if you're you know a little bit older, you think, where is it going to be in 10 years? Where is it going to be in 20 years? Like, what kind of a world is this? Uh, I don't think anyone sees a, a bright utopia in the immediate future, <clears throat> in the immediate future, unless there's a major change, which, of course, there has to be with Christ returning. But it's just the way man is continuing on. It doesn't look to be getting any better. Right. And, and especially for people who don't know exactly what the future holds, it has to be scary. There are still millions of people who believe that uh, traditional families should be preserved and that the law of the land should be upheld. Those things are being so rapidly undermined, though, uh, in this country and in a lot of other nations where you see so much chaos that it, it just obviously can't go on more than a decade or so. I mean, that's that's a generous estimate of how much longer you could last with a nation right now uh, – that has two sides that are constantly talking about civil war. How long will it actually take before people start acting on those words? Yeah, some some have, and uh, obviously we can think of a few instances recently with some of the different um, well, a shooting there with against a congressman and so forth. So uh, anyway, people are 
uh, stressed out. They are anxious, even though, you know, in some ways the economy is improving. <clears throat> but even that isn't uh, enough to get people to be um, <laughs> feeling too much better. Well, that just proves that money can't buy <clears throat> happiness and stability and peace of mind. It's great to have, you know, an extra 50 or or $100 in a in a in every month because of a tax cut. But if you can't ensure the safety of your family and your friends, it doesn't really do too much to offset those those concerns. By the way, that was an incredible word uh, play that you made there, whether intentional or not. You said countries are going to be meddling after the Olympics. Oh, right. Some countries meddled during the Olympics, some meddle after the Olympics. <laughs> some didn't meddle either time. <laughs> yeah, that was great. It was a great, a great uh, play on words that's fantastic. there. fantastic. Didn't even realize it. <laughs> it snuck up on you. Here's a, here's one that's really interesting. We talk sometimes about the, the changes in technology and how it affects our lives and, and some of those uh, changes. And this one says, how companies scour our digital lives for clues to our health. I'm not uncomfortable with this. I don't I don't want the uh, companies looking at my digital life trying to figure out what uh, mental state I'm in. Yeah, analyzing every word we speak or even just the way that we tap on a screen. It's, it's uh, I, I, from what I understand, a lot of these things are like by choice if you mm-hmm. download a certain app. But still, um, they these different companies are not going to always know how people are doing inside just by a couple of external clues. Well, it's interesting because um, there's a lot of talk, especially with the gun debate now, about well, who who should be able to get a gun? Well, if you you know if you have a mental health issue, you shouldn't be able to. Uh, some people think, uh, but then who defines that? And that that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. But it says an emerging field, digital phenotyping tries to assess people's well-being based on their interactions with digital devices. Your digital footprint, which is how often you post on social media, how quickly you scroll through your contacts, even they they measure how quickly you scroll through your contacts, which is interesting, how frequently you check your phone late at night could hold clues to your physical and mental health, they think. That at least is the theory behind an emerging field, digital phenotyping, that is trying to assess people's well-being based on their interactions with digital devices. Researchers and technology companies are tracking users' social media posts, calls, scrolls, and clicks in search of behavior changes that could correlate with disease symptoms. Some of these services are opt-in, at least one is not. People typically touch their phones 2,617 times per day, according to one study leaving a particularly enticing trail of data to mine. So they're looking at what you do on your phone, and they're trying to determine what kind of a mental state are you in, and do you need help? And they will send help in some cases, which I think is pretty unnerving. Yeah, and if you pair that with the last article that said basically everyone is uh, stressed or you could say mentally unhealthy, and then now you have ways to tangibly track that, what if they took action on this data and said, well, look, everyone is mentally unhealthy we're all living in a stressful society and uh no one is capable of having a gun what if they just took action on that they who knows what they could do this is this writes from the new york times and it gives a few examples of what they're looking for <clears throat> when when they look at our what we do digitally with our phones and online and so forth they say they they're scanning for suicidal thoughts <clears throat> one of the most ambitious efforts is being conducted by facebook The company recently announced that it was using artificial intelligence to scan posts and live video streams on its social network for signs of possible suicidal thoughts. If the system detects certain language patterns, such as friends posting comments like, can I help or are you okay, it may assign a certain algorithmic score to the post and alert a Facebook review team. So if somebody says to you, can I help or are you okay, and that pops up a few times, they're going to keep an eye on you. In some cases, look at this, Facebook sends users a supportive notice with suggestions like call a helpline. In urging cases, Facebook has worked with local authorities to dispatch help to the user's location. The company said that over a month, its response team had worked with emergency workers more than 100 times. You could have somebody show up at your door. Are you okay? <laughs> that's that's interesting. I think we all have friends who sometimes ask that question a little bit too much like for no reason are you okay like they, yeah. they might misread something that you say or like the way that you look whenever you step in the building or something like that and it's like well yeah i'm, I'm doing just fine you don't have to ask me about it every time <laughs> right well i mean you know I, if you want to look at the positive side you could say well okay you know maybe some people need some help and this is a way to help 
But what if people assume you need help and you don't? Do you right. want somebody coming? And then how do you convince them you're fine? That's the thing that's weird is that if they say, well, we think based upon your algorithmic score we've made here that you have a problem and you say no I don't how are you going to convince them and then what what legalities are involved do they have some sort of right to do something I mean you're in your own home so I, that it, it gets a little odd <laughs> and so I could see there being um, some pretty negative uses for this type of technology and there has even been uh, an argument after the last school shooting that we need to open some more of these mental health facilities or insane asylums well that could tie right into that as well if if that is becoming a more viable option and then you have people from facebook being dispatched to your house or authorities being dispatched to your house because of facebook what if they decided that you might need to take a visit to one of these facilities and you actually didn't need to it's like a like a bad movie uh they're also detecting depression in your clicks uh, therapists traditionally diagnose depression by observing patients and asking them how they feel. MindStrong Health, a mental health startup in Palo Alto, California, is observing people's smartphone use. The company has developed a research platform to continuously monitor users' phone habits, looking at changes in taps and clicks for hints about mood and memory changes associated with depression. Dr. Thomas R. Insull uh, who works there, says we are building digital smoke alarms for people with mental illness. You know, a smoke alarm, it warns you there's fire, right? <laughs> there could be fire or there's smoke, at least. So what they're saying here is, well, we're going to watch your online behavior, and, and we might we might decide this is an alarm. You, maybe you've got some mental health issues. Yeah, there's definitely some disturbing possible ramifications for technology like this. At least they're talking about mental health, which wasn't talked about enough right after the the Parkland shooting. This is something that everyone needs to make sure they have right in their lives. We can't go around mentally unstable on the verge of snapping at any moment like Nicholas Cruz did uh, whenever he went to that school. Uh, so mental health is important and all these thoughts and actions start in the mind. You have to get that under control. But is it really the job of Facebook or some other digital technology company to decide for you if you're mentally healthy? Well, right, because many of these companies have very specific political leanings on different ideologies. And so how do they feel about people that don't agree with them? Is that a mental health issue hmm. in their mind? I mean, that that's where it starts to get. Are the people working there? Are they all clear? Like they don't have any problem? You know, like how, how do you start to, to determine some of that? The other thing they're doing is they're even vetting calls for signs of stress. The traditional use of a phone with talking, you might remember that, <laughs> is also being examined for health clues. ShareCare, a digital health company based in Atlanta, offers a wellness app with an optional feature that analyzes users' stress levels during phone calls. You can usually tell, can't you, <laughs> by what the person's saying? <laughs> Just with your ear? <laughs> if you're yelling at me. The system uses pattern recognition technology to categorize user speech, the company said. After each call, the system delivers reports like, you seemed anxious or you seem balanced. Thank you. <laughs> it also characterizes users' relationships with the people they call in terms of attitudes like dominance or affection. <laughs> I, I don't want somebody monitoring my speech like that. Right. I think we can all tell uh, how stressful uh, certain phone calls are whenever... I think it's especially important I start pacing with the phone instead of instead of sitting down. It doesn't feel right to sit down, so then I just start walking back and forth. An app doesn't really have to tell me that. You can always decide that for yourself, it seems like. it's just, And it's just the question then becomes, well, what do they do with the information? Right. Like, well, okay, so somebody's uh, <clears throat> very anxious and dominant on their phone call. Uh, well. Does that mean something? Well, what does that mean? So I, I there I think a lot of people would be a little bit concerned about uh, what I would view as sort of an invasion of privacy in a certain level, and uh, but that that's the world in which we live and we're all connected, and therefore we're all connected. <laughs> Even yesterday I was driving home from town and I stopped at a uh, stoplight and I'm a little nervous because this guy drove up behind me in a big truck. He was driving a little wild and I looked back there and he was on his phone, which I didn't love. <clears throat> and then I looked over at the lady waiting across the street and she was on her phone. And then, you you know, everywhere you look, everyone's looking at their device. We're all connected to this web. And uh, what are people doing with the information we give them? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of pros and cons to the technological developments. Uh, one con, like you just mentioned there, people not necessarily paying attention to 
the actual real world surroundings that they're in because uh, that can cause a lot of stress for someone like you who actually is paying attention and has to look out for a couple other people who aren't and make sure that you don't collide with any of them. Uh, but but it is it is interesting just to think uh, while we can do so much now uh, with one or two clicks or or just pressing a button on our phones at the same time people are able to track the data and they're able to you know in this case try to assess someone's mental health for them uh is that really the trade-off that we're looking for there are a lot of obviously uh, terrible things happening with school shootings terrorist attacks and so we all want to be safe, but at the same time, do we want to be monitored so closely when we're not doing anything wrong? Yeah, and th- and that's another interesting point is that they want to like figure out everything about everybody from the the, the way they're tapping on their phone, and yet an actual school sh- school shooter was ignored thirty five plus times or more what, somewhere thirty nine thirty nine yeah, times right. to where they actually got called out there to do something. I think he even called on himself one time. And then do anything about it, and then but now they want to look at everybody else. So and it, he's he, and he wasn't just tapping or scrolling through through his contacts too fast. He was literally putting up messages saying that he was going to be a professional school shooter. Right. And the FBI and local law enforcement overlooked all the telltale signs that should have pointed them directly to it. And instead of talking about what law enforcement did wrong, we're blaming the gun. Right. I thought it was just a fascinating stat here too. Just in, the, in that st- uh, story, people on average uh, touch their phones twenty six hundred seventeen times per day. That'd be interesting to keep tabs on. Probably yeah. get sick of it. Like ah, I don't want to keep counting. It's too many times. But that's <laughs> all. I mean, that's a lot of times. So and that's the average. So uh, I don't think I don't think I'm that high. But you know, you don't. Know, I don't keep track of it. And the thing about counting is, we would inevitably do it less <laughs> if we had to count it every time. So, even if we were counting it, we would not get an accurate average of how we usually do it. Yeah, I suppose that number would be the number of taps. Yeah, because you're holding it for a, uh, an extended period, but how many times you're actually tapping mm-hmm. on it would make that number go up. Uh, make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. The top story is Venezuela's migrant crisis could exceed Syria's. Syria has a massive crisis, but Venezuela's got problems now, too. This is by Andrew Miller. More than 10% of Venezuelans have already fled, and the nation is deteriorating rapidly. They're socialists, by the way. The average Venezuelan has lost 24 pounds since 2017. Failed socialist... Uh, Economic policies are resulting in major food shortages, and almost 90% of Venezuelans now live in poverty. This is according to a study published Wednesday by the Central University of Venezuela. Over 60% of Venezuelans surveyed said that during the previous three months they had woken up hungry because they did not have enough money to buy food. About a quarter of the population was eating two or less meals a day, the study showed. So sometimes you want to lose weight, but this is not a way to lose weight. Uh, And a lot of them probably can't afford to lose that weight. 24 pounds since 2017. That's the average. That's a year because uh, they're running out of food and money. And that's based upon or because of failed socialist economic policies. And a lot of people who support socialist policies say that we should we should let other nations do what they want to do with their government. But like this article brings out, you know, this, this nation has totally failed. They've already had 4 million migrants, people fleeing the country that's destabilizing the entire region. And, um, like, like Andrew Miller brings out the government giving guns to civilian militias that, could eventually end up in the hands of drug cartels. Uh, the whole region's being destabilized because Venezuela is completely out of control. And so when we talk about the U.S. being the most powerful nation in the world, could they not do something about that? Should we not, especially when so many of those migrants are going to try to invade this country eventually anyway? Yeah, and when people you know talk about socialism like that's some great plan, well, you can take a look at Venezuela. It's not working, so it's worth thinking about even just from the economic, you know, side of it. Well, it's just amazing that everyone who is a proponent of socialism in, the, socialism in this country is extremely economically successful because they're a professor at a major university here, or uh, they're members of Antifa and they probably live in their parents' basements and they don't have to 
pay taxes and they don't realize what uh, that type of government is really like. It's a bad situation in Venezuela. Uh, so make sure you read about that in uh, at thetrumpet.com. You know, it's amazing, too, that you know uh, when I watch the nightly news, and I usually try to catch it, there's not much said about Venezuela. It's all about, you know, the, the latest tweet that the media is mad about or, you know, something, a rush investigation. And, uh, and there might be some value to some of that news, but there are some major things going on. And even like Syria, it's almost like the world gave up on Syria. Like, well, whatever. That's still going on there. People are getting killed all the time. So there's a lot happening, and uh, the trumpet keeps you up to speed on it, thankfully. Well, we talk about trying to save the lives of our children in a school shooting, and yet the the photos coming out of Syria are just so graphic that that's actually what convinced President Trump to drop that Moab bomb, that mother of all bombs, I believe, because he saw pictures of children whose bodies basically just collapsed on themselves because of the chemical effects on them. Yeah, they showed a lot of that footage last night on it. It was a 60 Minutes report about Syria, and uh, that's just the real world out there, unfortunately. Uh, also, listen for the Trumpet Daily Radio Show that's coming up here in a bit on KPCG. A couple of uh, stories today. talks about China and their government. And also, uh, children, quote-unquote, leading on the gun debate. There was one professor uh, that said they wish 16-year-olds could vote. Does that sound like a good idea? The Obamas uh, also have tweeted their support for the teens uh, because, uh, well, the teens that agree with their anti-gun agenda. <laughs> they haven't uh, you know, tweeted support for people that don't agree with them, surprisingly. And Oprah Winfrey jumped in on the mix. She's praising the Florida students as warriors of the light. She says these young people get to be literally warriors of the light. Not sure what literally means there, unless they're extremely bright for some reason. (laughs) That's what they're trying to do, she said. They're trying to, through their voices, through the March for Our Lives, which I guess they're going to be doing, say, we will not let this happen again. We are going to do what we can to banish the darkness the former talk show host last week matched $500,000 donation by the uh, Clooney's, you know George Clooney, to the students' plan marches, including one march on, on March 24th in Washington, D.C. So she said they're going to take to the streets, and oh, by the way, these uh, rich people are going to pay for it. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're given about a million dollars to pay to get those kids out there to, to uh, protest and be, uh, as she says, warriors of the light and make sure that it never happens again. That no one, no one ever shoots anyone with a gun again. Why aren't they supporting that student who went on Fox News yesterday and said that the Broward County Sheriff should be fired? I mean, he's he's talking about the failure of law enforcement, and and that sheriff has still refused to take any responsibility whatsoever. I mean, the arrogance has just been astounding. It's very clear, and it just keeps getting worse. Uh, just how much they could have done to stop this shooting. And he's still out there just talking about gun control and saying that it's all his deputy's fault. Well, there's a quote from him. It's on the Trump Adelia Day that they play the audio clip where he said that his his leadership has been outstanding. Right. I just couldn't, couldn't even believe that. I mean, even if you thought that, you'd think you'd keep it a little more low-key. Like, you'd say, I feel like I've done the best I could or something like that. But he said his leadership has been outstanding. Uh, I mean... Even in the best of circumstances, that's a pretty bold statement. But coming on the heels of this, I, I don't. That's just not something to say. Yeah, and you have to give a lot of respect to Jake Tapper from CNN, really pushing him and calling him out for the failures of his department. And he said at the end, "Do you really think that uh, Broward, the Broward County Police Department, couldn't have done anything different?" And the sheriff said, "If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, O.J. Simpson would still be in the record books." Well, so for one thing, no one knows exactly what that's talking about, no. but but it's very clear he's he's basically saying his department did everything perfectly. Yeah. That's not true. Why can't you just say that? Yeah, that's amazing. It's, there's so much division because of this situation. Uh, you've got a write-up from uh, the Gateway Pundit where it shows some other issues there. It says, Parkland shooting. Emergency responders were told to wait outside as students were dying inside the school. Um, who told them and why did they why did they tell them to do that? Well, this story just keeps getting worse and worse because a few days ago they talked about how there was a, a deputy who was basically ducking behind a car waiting by one of the school doors in case the shooter came out, I guess. Uh, but then they then some uh, some policemen from Coral Springs came to help 
and they saw four deputies actually outside the building and they were all just taking up a position and not going inside. They were all armed. They all had, I believe they all had a uh, bulletproof vests on, but they didn't go into the building. And then there's a, all these quotes from this gateway pundit article about, um, how these, uh, these first responders, you know, ambulance crews as well were told to stay outside the building. And he even said that, uh, that one of them said, it took 45 minutes to get one of the victims from inside the school out to an ambulance and taken to the hospital. That's how bad the situation was. Wow. So I guess they just wanted them to steer clear until they could get the school evacuated or something like that. I mean, it, it you know, it's, it's tough because it, it, we all look at it from the outside. Like we weren't there. We didn't, he didn't know how it goes. I don't know what the protocols are for these things, but, but there was definitely, you know, um, just a lot of instances where maybe it seems like more could have been done and it wasn't. So I, you know, and if you're one of those people, if you were a parent that had a child that was a victim in some way, you know, you imagine how you'd feel, you know, if, if it took 45 minutes to even get in there and they were, that could be the difference between life and death, of course. Yeah, it sure could. And and so these are people from the emergency medical crews uh, who are saying they were told, and it was very upsetting to them when they were told to just stay outside the building and wait for it to be over. But what about the four deputies? The The sheriff keeps blaming one of them specifically who's been placed on leave and is going to retire instead. Uh, but there were four of them. That's what the reports are saying now. What about the other three? Did were, were they all just too afraid to go inside or did somebody tell them they shouldn't go in? Because it's hard to believe that all four of the ones who were on the scene while the shooting was taking place just refused to go inside out of fear. You would think at least one of them would bust down the door and and try to take care of the situation and take care, shoot the shooter dead. It's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how you know more of this comes out as it goes on. But it's <laughs> it's really strange too because typically in situations like this, when it gets to be a, a divisive debate, uh, the lines are pretty clear. You'll have like the police on one side and then others on the other. But in this case, it's not not what's happening. You have, there's this whole discussion about should there be guns, not guns. Then you have the police, they're trying to blame something because it looks like they had some failures. There's just all these different parties and they're all fighting with each other. And like, it's a great uh, quote. It was on the the Trump daily today. Just the fact that Satan stirs all this up and Satan's not on anybody's side. He's just for stirring it up and for causing division and anarchy and chaos. And so you see even more and more of this uh, to where, there's so many different sides involved and everyone's pointing the finger at everybody else. It's even hard to make heads or tails of what the actual uh, dispute is about Mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah. It's been a little confusing in this, in this situation uh, mainly because the, the radical left is normally against the police, but this time, uh, the sheriff is was elected as a Democrat, and he's the pictures have come out of him with Hillary Clinton and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, and so when you have that job, and the left is not usually in favor of law enforcement, but there you are as head of a law enforcement body. It does it does kind of blur the lines and make it difficult to figure out who is where. Surely he doesn't speak for most of his his own force because he's consistently throwing his own his own guys under the bus, blaming everyone but himself, totally stepping aside and and refusing to take the lead. Uh, it's just been appalling to see all that happen. Can you imagine working in that police force, going in and seeing that guy. Ugh. It's got to be all time low morale. Oh. Uh, that's not that's not inspiring leadership. I mean, even the greatest leaders in history have always taken responsibility, even if they thought someone under them did wrong. They don't they don't just uh, blaspheme basically or or slander the people working underneath them. They take responsibility because they're the ones in charge. Yeah. I can't imagine it would be a good environment right now. That's from uh, the Gateway Pundit on the uh, Parkland shooting emergency responders were told to wait outside. That'd be hard for them because obviously they want to get in and help. Mm-hmm. So uh, Related uh, to that also, so what happens when you start having gun debates? Well, everybody wants to buy more guns. Florida Gun Show sees record number of attendees amid gun control debate. Uh, the manager of the Florida Gun Show, so it's, it's in Florida there, George Fernandez says they've never seen such a big crowd. 
organizers say they had a record number of people attend the event on Saturday, February the 24th, almost 7,000 and expected more on, on Sunday and yes, yesterday. So people are going there to buy guns. I saw a story where they said the top Google search was uh, where can I buy a gun or something to that effect because people think, oh, they're going to take the gun, so I better go get mine right. now. And the thing that's interesting about these gun shows is that I, they said about 95% of them, uh, people that sell guns are dealers, and they do have to do background checks. 5% are private citizens, and they don't have to do background checks on people. So <laughs> kind of interesting when you look at the numbers. Right, and, and it's uh, it's been pretty overwhelming even just to see how much the media has insisted that no one's trying to take away all of your guns, and yet you had an arena full of people at that CNN town hall last week who cheered as soon as Marco Rubio said, you do realize that you're proposing literally taking away every semi-automatic rifle in the entire nation. And they all cheered that. And then the student on Fox News yesterday said that he has talked with a lot of these gun control advocate students, and they have personally told him that the end goal is to take away every single gun in the country. So the media can say all it wants to about how they're not trying to take away all the guns, but when you introduce bills that ban 200 guns when 2,000 others are identical to it except for like a plastic handle or the lack thereof, well, why wouldn't you ban those other 2,000? And if you ban those other 2,000, why wouldn't you ban the ones that are a scary-looking black metal but they're also partially wood? And then why wouldn't you ban all the other guns that pretty much are similar to each other because they all shoot bullets? At the end of the day, they're all similar because they all hold multiple bullets at a time and they can all shoot bullets relatively quickly. Uh, that's, that's the logic and that's the end goal of it. You start small and you start in a way that doesn't even make sense with a bill that doesn't get anything done. But the whole purpose is to get rid of every gun. And that's why people have seen that they see what the left is actually openly saying and applauding about the issue. And they're responding by buying guns because a free people has to have guns to defend itself in this world. That's how it works. Otherwise, you're just at the mercy of your government taking over. Well, it's interesting, too, because if you sort of pay attention to, say, the way the left has worked recently, it's the same sort of pattern. Uh, I was reading about the, the health care and how that got pushed through. And they couldn't really get people didn't support it because it doesn't work. The government-run health care doesn't make sense. So they had to find some some entity to attack and make sort of the the bad guy. So they went after the insurance companies. They they were going to go after the drug companies, but the drug companies it wasn't going to work, and they were willing to pay them off. And and so okay, so they were going to be okay with the drug companies. So they had to go after the insurance companies. So they just kept saying, "Oh, the insurance companies are stealing your money." They literally said that the the bodies are piling up while the insurance companies make money. The reality was, insurance companies were only like the mo the like the 30th most profitable company. So in other words, there were about 29 companies or so that made more money than they did. I think their profit <laughs> margin was about 6%, wow. which wasn't that much. But if you were to believe them when they were making the argument, that was the worst group ever. Well, who is it now? Well, it's the NRA. Right. You've got to go pick a guy or a group, oh. attack it, attack it, attack it, and then never, never mind all the facts that are there. And they're doing the same thing with the gun debate. And there's a huge danger to even starting a debate about uh, a God-given right or a constitutional right. Uh, these are not things that are up for discussion. The Second Amendment should never be up for repeal or abolition, yet people are trying to bring that up as uh, basically a negotiation subject. Uh, what happened with abortion back in the 70s and, and even in the 90s, it was seen as something that needed to be made safe and rare and used as a last option. Today, it's my body, my choice. Whenever out of convenience, it can be partly out of the mother's womb and you can still kill that child. That's what happens when you start negotiating about life and death or in the case of the Second Amendment, uh, people's God-given rights to self-defense and self-preservation and freedom. You start, you start negotiating it, you see what happens. And, and you know that's going to happen with the Second Amendment, too. They're going to say, oh, we just want to get rid of these 200 guns. Eventually, the end game is to get rid of every single one in the country. Yeah, we've seen the same trend in um, the societal changes, the way the families have been destroyed. And that's written about very well in uh, Redefining Family, where, well, we'll just, uh, 
introduce one thing, and then once that's in the door, then everything else comes along with it. Yeah, you can't compromise with evil, or else it'll just go all the way to the other extreme and destroy you. Absolutely, and that's what history shows. We wanted to finish today talking about a write-up at the uh, trumpet.com that relates to what's happening now with the gun debate, specifically the youth being pushed out there. To, now they're the, the what warriors of light, I guess they were called or something. <clears throat> they're the ones that are going to uh, push the changes. And this write-up is from a few years ago from the trumpet, but the title is The Burden of Youth Culture, The Adverse Effects of Teen Culture's Rising Influence in Western Society. And uh, anytime you see what the teens are supporting and what they're behind, has it ever worked out as a good thing in the society? I can't think of anything that's worked out well. No, I mean these these movements are never well thought through. They're always anti-authority. There's there's no respect for the older generation that has more experience and might might actually have a little bit of wisdom for them if they would listen. It says, with about 35 million in America, <clears throat> America already, teenagers make up the fastest growing demographic in a godly society that would be great <laughs> because uh, the young people are, are wonderful. God has always intended for children to be a blessing to their parents like olive plants around the table. You can see that in Psalms 128 and verse 3 and to society as well. Unfortunately, in these latter days, and again, if you think latter days is sort of an odd expression, uh, that's what USA Today says. <laughs> they didn't say latter days, but they said unusual times, not normal times. Prophecy points to our youth as being a burden on society. Instead of helping to build it up, our own offspring are tearing it down. Isaiah 3 and verse 12 describes our children as being oppressors, a word that means to uh, tax, harass, and, and uh, tyrannize. And uh, I went to the mall yesterday, and I saw a lot of that. Hmm. Talk about oppressive. It was oppressive, and it was not the older people. Right, and that's that's really uh, what this societal trend is about, where the children are stepping forward and leading. In, in the gun control debate, it makes sense, actually, because the logic is so, it's so infantile anyway that you might as well have actual kids arguing the point. Uh, but that's, that's where we're headed, uh, where children apparently have the most knowledge they're the they're usually ahead of the curve when it comes to the latest uh, cool trends in pop culture uh, so so why can't we we look to them for everything I guess the reasoning goes well really when it comes down to the uh, even this gun debate with the teens really what they're asking the teens is well how do you feel about it mm-hmm. and they have a feeling about it but uh, it's never good to make laws based on feelings. <laughs> That's a really bad... You can do that. North Korea does that. They make law based on the feeling of the leader. Sometimes he doesn't like you. <laughs> and then you have problems. So, they, like you said, they are... The, even the, the actual leaders are acting like children, as this points out, too. And so, yeah, why not trot out the actual kids? Because some of the leaders act like kids also. Yeah, and it's a lot easier uh, to use these children as as shields for their ideas because they can't be criticized, apparently. That's also not true, but it's the way that they present the children so that no one could actually rebut their faulty ideas. Yeah, this uh, right up in quoting Isaiah 3, it looks at verse 5 where it says, The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. It says the pervasive attitude young people have toward their elders in Western society is one of rebellious disrespect. In the most extreme cases, it can become violent. We've seen that, haven't we? Teens commit three times as many crimes as adults. Did you know that? So you want to have the teens talk about the guns? They commit three times as many crimes. <laughs> it was a teen who carried out that shooting, too. Exactly. I mean, these are young people who hate authority and grow up in broken homes and, and are on prescription drugs and have voices talking to them. That's those are the ones carrying out all these school shootings, and that's actually a shocking statistic that they carry out three times as many crimes as adults. The teenagers do. That's something that I didn't know, and probably a lot of people wouldn't ever know because teens are presented as basically our moral arbiters right now. Yeah, the the prisons are filled up with a lot of younger people, and of course, that that was something that was um, kind of a. Uh, uh, talked against in the last administration, you know, well, we need to get these younger people out of jail. It's not fair. <clears throat> well, tell them to stop committing crimes then they <laughs> won't be there in the first place. But besides just the fact that, that there's problems with the youth, uh, this write-up points out that 
people are not growing up as they get older, as they used to. They're not maturing into adulthood. Time Magazine recently reported on a new phenomenon among youths, again, this is from a few years ago, uh, about how long it is taking them to transition into adulthood. They're not kids anymore, the subtitle to the article says, but they're not adults either. So what are they? According to Time, they're Twixters. So I don't know if that's the term or if they've got a new one now, but men and women or boys and girls between the ages of 18 and 25 who don't want adult responsibility. Social scientists have noticed an increase in the number of young adults, quote unquote, who still live with their parents and who have no clear goal or ambition in life. Um, And so this is the generation that's supposed to make the laws of the land now (laughs) and younger even. And they haven't even gotten to a point in life where they've taken on responsibility like paying their own rent, paying for their own food, let alone raising another generation, but yet they're going to tell everybody how it should be. Why stop there? Why not let the five-year-olds tell us? (laughs) The two-year-olds, we want more candy. Well, yeah, there have already been a lot of studies that show that teenagers, even like the chemical makeup of their minds isn't settled yet, and it actually makes them more predisposed to bad decision-making. Yet we're relying on them to form public policy right now. And and not only that, this this point here is that, well, these are 16 and 17-year-olds who might not become adults until, you know, 26 and beyond, maybe up to like age 34. They might not even try to take on adult responsibility and for another 18 years. Yet those are the ones we're trying to tell us to lead. Yeah. But, you know, it's always interesting if you look at the, the teen culture and over the years they, they've always been like you said on the the cutting edge of <laughs> uh taking society down another notch but there's always some older people behind it you know even if you look at say pop music or or some of those trends it, as you get older you you notice that it's the same stuff they just regurgitate it all the time and the people making the money are still the same ones <laughs> they've just trotted out some new act for the kids to buy and it's no different even with this gun debate. I mean, as much as the teens might feel kind of empowered right now, like, hey, we've got something to say. Well, who's pulling the strings? Who's paying for you to go to these marches? It's older people. <laughs> and as uh, was pointed out years ago, it was by Trumpet uh, Daily Radio show host Stephen Fleury. It was a great point. For all the younger people that think hey, what they're doing is so hip and cool, well, Satan's the one behind it, and he's really old. <laughs> <laughs> he's been around a long time. So for the, for the youth that think they're empowered and they're really making changes, strings are being pulled and they're being used. That's a great point. Where where do the ideas that they have come from? Where does the money that funds them come from? It, obviously, they, they're still living with their parents, and so they don't have the experience that they need. Uh, their parents, in a lot of cases, probably are the same have the same points of view as them and have probably led their children down that same road when it comes to these these uh leftist gun control ideas uh, they're not really in control but they're be they're being given a platform right now to where a lot of these kids have become household names yeah. even though even though they don't deserve that platform the parents have put them out there the media has put them out there they're being made to again to feel like they're really important when they're actually not and they're uh, they're easily influenced by peer pressure and by celebrity and by all those other things. You know, I I, I was a young I was a young person once, <laughs> but I you know I remember sitting in in classes in high school or middle school or and then even into college and you know you get some group discussion going and everybody feels pretty important when they're talking about the big social issues of the day. <laughs> that happens in every school. Uh, and, and, but when you look back on it, or when I look back on it, I think, well, that was, there was a lot of that was just silliness. It was very self-important and very just naive and foolish. And yet, uh, that's been taken out of the classroom now and be put up on the big stage for CNN for the world to see. It's just like a high school class where they're, they're bantering about, about how they're going to save the world. And yet they'd have no concept of what to do. Right. Why is public school the way it is now? It's because, a lot of bad decisions are being made due to peer pressure, people changing their ideas based on what their friends think. Uh, by contrast, leaders need to be rock solid in their foundation of what they believe. They shouldn't be quivering and quaking just because someone disagrees with them and they're afraid of what those people will think. These kids are going right along with what the popular view is. They're not standing up for anything. They're not brave because bravery would actually require some form of resistance. Yeah. Yeah. 
the burden of youth culture. We're living in it now. You can read about that at the uh, trumpet.com. And as it says at the end, uh, it's a cultural disease. And now we're into the final silly stages. It's beyond silliness. It's dangerous. Uh, that's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program. It's Trumpet Daily Radio Show all coming up today. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.